Hey everyone, it's Marvin. This episode of Books and Boba is sponsored by Mai Theater in New York City and their upcoming production of Once Upon a Korean Time. Founded in 1989, Mai Theater Company is a professional, award-winning, non-profit 501c3 organization whose primary mission is to develop and produce new and innovative plays by Asian American writers. They're a great theater company out in New York who has distinguished themselves as one of the country's leading incubators of new works shaping local and national conversations about what it means to be Asian American today. Their latest production, Once Upon a Korean Time, is a generation-spanning new journey through the historical and fantastical. Mixing traditional Korean fables with the horrors of the Korean War, Daniel K. Isaac's epic new play is a funny and deeply moving analog for the experiences of the Korean-American diaspora. Isaac deftly moves his characters through time, tracing the legacies of trauma that are passed down from one generation to the next, and the various coping mechanisms each one uses to soldier on. The show features sea kings, bubbles, tigers, generational traumas, and of course, barbecue, and is the professional playwriting debut for Daniel K. Isaac, um, who, who previously acted on Billions, The Chinese Lady, and of course made an appearance on a previous iteration of Haikus for Hotties. Previews begin August 23rd at La Mama's Ellen Stewart Theater in New York City and will be there for a limited engagement until September 18th. So if you are in the New York area or plan to make a trip to New York in the coming weeks, um, definitely check it out. Tickets are now available at maitheater.org. There will be a link in the show notes, but if you're curious, the website is ma-yitheater.org. That's right. It's theater with an R-E, so you know it's fancy. And if you do attend the show, please let us know. Rira and I are stuck here on the West Coast, so we won't be able to make it. But we do want to hear your thoughts on the play as well. All right. Now on with the show. You're listening to... And hey, you're listening to Books and Boba, a book club and podcast featuring books by Asian and Asian American authors. My name is Marvin Yue. And I'm Rira Yu. And we are here to discuss our August 2022 book club pick, Honey and Issues Guide to Fake Dating by Adiba Jagradar. Um, a story about, you guessed it, fake dating um, in taking place in Ireland about two Bangladeshi girls who engage in a fake dating scheme um, in order to pursue their own personal agendas. Um, that's a very basic synopsis of the plot. We'll go way more in detail as we discuss the book. But um, before we get started, though, standard spoiler warning uh, in our book club discussions, we do talk about all things about the book, characters, beats, uh, themes, and also spoilers. Um, so if you have not read Honey Issues Guide to Fake Dating yet and you do care about being spoiled, um, you know, push pause, go read the book, come back and listen to our discussion. Uh, if you don't care about being spoiled, go ahead and listen on as well. Um, I will say nothing in the book is particularly surprising in terms of like character beats. You know, we've we've all read fake dating stories before and it kind of follows the same beats but it does have a lot of really unique uh, perspectives and themes and relationships too so um yeah excited to get into all of that so um to start us off Rira, can you give us the book jacket description 
All right. Everyone likes Humara Hani Khan. She's easygoing and one of the most popular girls at school. But when she comes out to her friends as bisexual, they invalidate her identity, saying she can't be bi if she's only dated guys. Panicked, Hani blurts that she's in a relationship with a girl her friends absolutely hate, Ishita Ishu Day. Ishu is the complete opposite of Hani. She's an academic overachiever who hopes that becoming head girl will set her on the right track for college. But Ishita agrees to help Hani if Hani will help her become more popular so that she stands a chance of being elected head girl. Despite their mutual beneficial plan, they start developing real feelings for each other. But relationships are complicated, and some people will do anything to stop two Bengali girls from achieving happily ever after. Yeah. Um, you know, I kept forgetting that this took place not in the U.S. until... And I, I know we kept reminding ourselves every week on this podcast. But then um, I read this book via... I read, quote-unquote, this book via um, audiobook. And... Yeah, same here. Um, yeah, and they got two um, narrators to read the book, uh, one for each point of view, and they both spoke in Irish accents. And I was like, oh, yeah, this takes place in Ireland. Yeah, yeah the narrators were Rena Dutt and Shupangi Karmakar. And uh, yeah, it was like really nice to hear the Irish accent and also like the Bengali accents for uh, the parents and some yeah. of the uh, like Bengali and Indian characters. So I really enjoyed listening to it. I highly recommend folks to listen to it as well. Um, like I'm a pretty big fan of like ton of French novels and those are like murder mysteries, completely different genre, <laughs> but it also takes place in Ireland. And I like listening to the audiobooks for those because it's like more immersive when you hear the Irish accent. That's true. I definitely got more from listening to it than I would have reading it straight up. I mean, I kind of did half and half. I read along. I kind of listened to it. I had a lot of um, long car rides during this week. So mm-hmm. uh, I definitely was able to um, listen to it then. And, and it just, yeah, this, it gets you in the mood, especially this book, um, because it takes place in Ireland. It definitely added a lot to the experience um, because I was able to, you know, listen to uh, the characters speak in their natural voices or closer natural voices. Yeah. Um, okay. So this book has the title. Uh, uh, so this book has fake dating in the title, but ironically enough, I don't think there was a lot of fake dating in it. I mean, I mean, you know, I mean, I think, isn't that the case in a lot of fake dating stories? Is the fake part only lasts like a chapter or two at most until one of them starts, until one of them starts to um, catch feelings, right? Well, like what I mean by like fake dating is that they went on like one official date and then I feel like there wasn't like enough events where they have to fake a relationship but i was fine with that because i I was just like i feel like that is the the hook for readers to to actually like pick up the book and like the real heart of the book is uh just like honey and issues like individual growth as like people and how they support each other and how uh like like how they learn to be more of themselves, I, I guess. 
I guess. If that makes sense. I feel like, and maybe this is just my naivete about high school dating because um, I feel like when you're dating in high school, it's not really a lot of going out dates. Um, a lot of it is just like hanging out in school, holding hands and like walking home together. And like they were at each other's places a lot. Right. So I don't know. I think in that case, it's more in line. But then also I was you know, super not cool in high school. So I, how would I know what real dating was like? I mean, there were I mean, they did go on a triple date to the movie theater with uh, Hani's toxic friends, Ashling <laughs> and Deirdre. And I'm like, well, that does sound like a high school date where mm. you just hang out with your friends and their boyfriends and go see movies because there's absolutely nothing else to do. Mm, that's true. But also they're like in Ireland. So they're they're of drinking age. But of course, like we we find out that Honey is Muslim and she can't drink. So uh, that was that was like a big uh, plot point, plot device in the book as well. So yeah, I did love that both characters, like even though they share um, a, a same like mother country, had different upbringings and experiences. You know, um, Ishu's family is I want to say Buddhist, right? I don't know. I just know that they're not. Muslim. Oh, they mentioned something about Buddha in in the book. So I was I thought they were. Yeah, I don't know. I'm going to assume they're Buddhist. Maybe I'm wrong. Uh, Yeah. Like issue is Indian Bengali. And, you know, she's a first gen immigrant. Uh, she moved to Ireland when she was very young and her family kind of uh, didn't start off well off. They lived in like a one bedroom apartment and uh, now they have a shop of their own. Whereas Hani is Bangladeshi, Bengali, Muslim, and uh, she was born and raised in Ireland. So definitely a different experience from issue. So it's really nice to see a range of experiences and uh, diversity within like such a small subset of like a marginalized group, especially like when it's in Ireland as well. So I would guess that it's even smaller. Yeah. As we've preached on this show many times before, Asian is not a monolith and neither are any of our individual like ethnicities a monolith as well. Um, Asia, South Asia, East Asia, Southeast Asia is a land of many peoples and many cultures and many religions uh, from all and over dialects. The world. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it was, um, you know, the book is called Hani and Ishu's Guide to Fake Dating. But the story actually starts with Ishu's point of view um, and opens with a, um, I guess I guess you can call it a trope that we've seen in many Asian American or Asian diaspora stories, which is uh, the revelation that an older sibling is rebelling against the immigrant parents' dreams and desires for them. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I really liked the relationship between issue and nick they're they're probably their storyline was probably like one of my favorites yeah. in the book um yeah but i i am the oldest child in my family and i'm <laughs> definitely not the golden girl so <laughs> yeah <laughs> i mean relate. i was able to relate a little bit because you know i am pretty close in age with my younger brother and when you're so close in age that like you get compared academically 
at the same time, you do kind of develop a rivalry. And, you know, especially when you live in a family with, where, you know, academic success is like the foremost important thing, like getting into a good school, um, getting a good degree, getting a good job. You do the, your relationship growing up is a little different. And, you know, it's not until you grow up when you, where you realize you kind of want something more from from your sibling relationship and it was really uh, it was really sweet to see Nick wanting to con- like trying to convince issue that they could be more than just what they were as growing up and trying to reconnect with her uh, while issue was still stuck in her like no I have to compete against you I have to be the best uh, because now since you effed up I'm the last chance for our parents to achieve their dreams and it was really frustrating um as an adult reading it because you know nick was totally trying to reach out to her the entire time and um, issues couldn't see it because she's so focused on her own goals yeah and the reason why nick has quote-unquote fallen from grace with her parents is because she says that she's going to take a year off of university of pre-med so that she could get married and the first reaction that her parents have is are you pregnant? Like, is this why you're you're doing this? And to be honest, like, I had the same reaction too. I was like, why are you skipping school just to get married? That that doesn't make sense. But also, like, my reader brain was like, there has to be more than more than just the wedding. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I feel like there's a whole other book that can just be Nick's journey, right? The model daughter who goes to college and discovers freedom and herself, her own goals for the first time. Um, I think, you know, we, we don't really get a lot of insight into what her journey was, only that it resulted in her deciding to essentially rebel against her parents' wishes. Yeah, like, I mean, we say rebel as if, you know, like, she kind of hates her parents, but that's not, that's not what we mean. Um, I mean, like, to me, like, it was... It was really heartbreaking because Nick was saying, like, we find out later in the book that, you know, the wedding is not the reason why she's just, you know, dropping out of school. Because later on, she says, I'm dropping out of school, period. Um, But she says that she was so depressed and, you know, she was having issues with her mental health and her physical health and she couldn't eat while she was at school and she was barely passing her classes. And... You know, like, unfortunately, I've heard so many stories like that from, like, the Asian American community because there is just so much pressure that is put on you to achieve um, the future that your parents have mapped out. And then once you get to college and you don't have that pressure anymore or, like, the pressure is is just you, like, (laughs) you're unnecessarily putting the pressure on yourself – And you're surrounded by other people who, you know, are just as good as you. It, Yeah, like I've seen people break down and it's really, really hard to watch. Yeah, I think that's the that's the thing, right? It's just your you spend your life as the golden kid, the number one in your class. And then you go to a school where everyone was number one in their class. And all of a sudden you're just, you know, at best average and yeah, a lot of people or some people can't handle that, especially those who kind of see their identity as being number one, right? Um, I, I mean, I had I had a college roommate who, even at school, 
his parents dictated every choice he made, what classes he took, what major he declared. Like basically his parents would call him during class registration and sit with him on speakerphone as he like registered for classes. Oh my God. Yeah, that is way too much. But I thought it was really funny how like Nick says, oh, my fiance Rakesh is like he just graduated from like engineering school. And usually parents would be all over that. But, you know, they're just like, you're giving up your education for a man. That is like, that's what we went through. And that is not something that we want for you. And I don't know, like, it just reminded me that a lot of Asian American immigrant parents, they have like a very specific timeline for their children. It's like, you study and don't go on dates until you go to college. But like, you don't actually like you, in college, you look for a husband or whatever, but you don't actually get married until after everybody has their degrees and have like their first job. But it has to be Hold- like exactly a year after that happens. Yeah, it's like <laughs> a year or two after after it happens. And I was like, wow, like, I mean, she she is like she she reached the final goal for parents which is to like get married and hopefully have children and i'm like yeah why does it matter that it's it's in reverse order but yeah it's (laughs) but i really like the fact that ishi's parents were conservative and we got a contrast uh between ishi's parents and honey's parents because honey has a very like tight relationship with her ama and i don't know it was just like something that I don't really see all that often. Um, And, you know, like Honey is actually out to her parents. She was like more, she was, she outed to her parents before she outed to her, um, to her friends. And I was like, oh, that's like usually very rare. Yeah. Just like how Bangladeshi Asians are not a monolith. Bangladeshi Asian parents are also not a monolith. Um, There, there's a spectrum of all sorts of, parents and their tolerances for their children's um individuality let's say yeah Um, and like honey's parents uh they tell her like oh yeah like we had to shift a lot of our perspective uh after you came out to us but you know that's something that we processed on our own time because that's our baggage and not yours and i was like wow that is some healthy parent child relationship right there (laughs) yeah i mean the story is all about relationships and i love that we have different sorts uh like we have a whole plethora a whole smorgasbord of relationships um within ourselves like honey um like ishu and her parents their relationship is kind of more your uh immigrant parent strict immigrant parents and their overachieving daughter Whereas, whereas Hani's is about like easygoing parents and the lies you tell them. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was so funny that Hani's mom was like, oh, you're hanging out with issues. She's kind of intense. And I really don't want you to adopt that, you know, pressure of being academically successful in order to uh, have a great future. Mm. And I was like, when? Have I heard of Asian parents <laughs> saying it's okay if you're not at the top of your class? It's because you have the other type of Asian parent. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, I feel yeah. like for every strict like tiger mom, there's like 
a couple cool moms kind of like talking behind their her back like man i feel bad for her kids right well it's also that like honey has uh older brothers who you know are married and have children of their own mm. and honey is the youngest and i feel like honey's mom uh has just you know, like after raising two fully grown adults, like she has more perspective <laughs> on what works and what doesn't work in parenting. Yeah. Um, what did you think about, um, since we're on the parents, the way that those relationships are resolved? Um, like Hani does resolve her conflict with her parents, like coming clean about lying and coming to an understanding. But Ishu never resolves her issues with her parents, right? That's kind of left open ended. Yeah, and I can see why a lot of readers could be frustrated by that because you don't have that nice closure with like the pretty bow on top. But I feel like that's realistic it, you know, though. Because it's very realistic. Because I'm sure like even today as like a thirty plus year old man, there are plenty of stuff I have not resolved with my parents yet. Yeah, and like the decision of like her parents saying we're not going to go to Nick's wedding because if we go, it means that we're proving that she's right and she's going to like live this life of this life that we did not map out for her. And I was like, it's your daughter's wedding. Like, is it really so important for you to prove that you're right and to be stubborn? But that's just how it is in a lot of Asian households. Like you can go on your whole life with your parents not ever apologizing to you. <laughs> they will just do things out of stubbornness. And yeah. I was like, this is very, very realistic. I really like the fact that Ishu and Nick, they had, you know, they they kind of like reached this new chapter in their sisterhood and Ishu's like, I'm going to my sister's wedding. Like, she is my family. I am going. And that would not have happened (laughs) towards, like, the beginning of the book with uh, how Issue's mindset was. And I really liked that growth. And um, Hani's growth was really interesting to read as well. I actually got a lot of war flashbacks with her toxic friends, (laughs) uh, Ashling and Deirdre. Um, which is really funny to me because I feel like I had that same problem um, like after college, like when I was like in my early 20s and not so much when I was in high school. Because mm. when I was in high school, I was more like issue and very, very <laughs> intense. <laughs> I was very intense, intimidated a lot of people. And I was just like, please leave me alone. Like, don't be friends with me. Luckily, I had a lot of extroverted friends who latched on to me and kind of ref- kind of refused to not be my friends. So I was lucky in that regard. But I was definitely like issue in high school. Yeah. And a lot of her monologue, inner monologue, I, I was just like cracking up like her, her being like, oh, I don't know why, like these white boys are considered so attractive to these white Irish girls. They all look the same. And I was like definitely thought that when i was in high school so yeah i think um um yeah i definitely um did relate more to um issues point of view than um than honey's but that's just because again um the way that i grew up as well i did not i didn't grow up needing to conform conform because like yeah yeah because like we find out that honey 
you know, because she was born and raised uh, in her Irish town, you know, she kind of learned early on that she has to blend in in order to have friends. Like her friends, Ashling and Deirdre, they call her Myra. Uh, because Moira, her full Moira, name yeah. Moira, yeah. Moira, uh, because they never attempted to pronounce her uh, her real name, which and, is such a I, I definitely relate to that part because um, I think we've we've talked about this many times on this podcast. Um, my last name is impossible for Western tongues to pronounce, and so I've had to settle for a bastardized version of it my almost my entire life. I mean, the thing that cr- drove me crazy was Humaira. Like, it's literally just adding the who to the front of Myra's. It's like, it's not even that hard. We've seen South Asian names that are like very long yeah. and very hard to <laughs> phonetically pronounce. And Humaira is not one of them. It's and actually it pretty really phonetic, re- to be honest. It's pretty phonetic, um, which is why, like, I. I listened to the audiobook because I was like, there's probably going to be a lot of words that I don't know how to pronounce. Um, so it's great to like just have the correct pronunciation. But Homaira, I was like, it sounds exactly the way it's written. Same thing with Ishita. So I was like, why are her friends so terrible and can't even attempt to do this one small thing? But I understood because my name is Rira and it's very hard for some people to pronounce, even though it's like, literally it's pretty phonetic as well i feel it's pretty phonetic but you'll be so surprised like literally i've had teachers growing up saying oh can i just call you re for short and i said no you're gonna call me by my full name (laughs) because i'm not gonna respond to re and it was like very like same thing with like my in-laws uh like when i went to the wedding uh this past uh week there were relatives who couldn't say my name, like, correctly. Um, some of them just called me Re, and some of them, like, put the emphasis on the wrong vowel, like, calling me Riera. And I was like, that's, that's not my name. I think it's very easy to pronounce my name. But, you know, you kind of have to pick your battles. And I feel like Hani had to pick her battles when she was much younger because um, her Irish town, like... It used to not have a very big uh, Bangladeshi, South Asian community. So she kind of grew up in like isolation along with her parents. And they're kind of learning how to, you know, be okay with their Bangladeshi roots and be like, yeah, it's okay to be a part of this community and, you know, turn your back on on like the racist white Irish people. <laughs> yeah, I mean, even in their school, um, they will go to a Catholic all-girls school. Ishu and Hani are the only two brown girls in the, in the entire class, right? Like, are they the only people of color? At, like, because no. that's what I got when I was like reading. I thought I caught some East Asian names in there. Okay, maybe yeah. there were some East Asians in there. Yeah. Got it. Um, but in terms of like Desi girls, I think there's they were the only two. And so, you know, and, you know, they have the the age of fear of, well, they just want us to be friends because we're from the same place. But then they end up together. So, you know, sometimes hanging out with people that you relate to or have some connection to does 
does work out. Yeah. Yeah. I used to hate that too, though. Like when like a new kid would come in and they're East Asian mm. and they're like, hey, why don't you show this person around? <laughs> and it's like, why? I am like the most introverted person. There are definitely better people in this classroom mm. who can do the tour. Yeah. But obviously you picked me because I'm East Asian. So I definitely uh, related to that fear. I mean, I think as like as people of color, um, we kind of it, it becomes real easy to see exactly how um, how white people think, I guess. Um, <laughs> and I guess I think that was what made it really not frustrating, but I kind of sad to kind of read um, Hani's rationalization of her friend's horribleness. Um, because a lot of the um, the conflict for her and her friends um, was her coming to terms with maybe Ashley and Deirdre are actually horrible are actually horrible people, and maybe I should not be friends with them. Yeah, and the reason why she hangs on to them so tightly is because she knew Ashley since kindergarten, and you know Deirdre since like elementary school. So her reason for being so loyal to them is I grew up with them. They were here for me when I went through, like, my first breakup. Um, Their family has always been really nice to me. So, of course, they're not going to say these things that make me feel horrible. And they're not going to purposely put me in situations that make me feel very small. And while I was reading that, I was like, how does that happen? Like, people you know, people you grew up with and spilled secrets to grew up to be people that end up conservative. And I'm like, how does that happen? You're in the same town. You guys go to the same school. You spend so much time together. So how does that happen? I mean, Ashling shows all the telltale signs of like toxic, bigoted person, right? She she says Hani's one of the good ones, right? Oh, you're a friend because you're not that kind of Muslim or not that kind of Bangladeshi. Um, and I think... It was really early on, maybe like the the third or fourth chapter, where they kind of crystallized the fact that they were all kind of similar people until I think Hani um, observed that ever since they like entered their like late teens and started kind of develop their own individuality, they started to notice that they weren't 100% the same. And um, that's what bothers Ashley the most, is that... Hani isn't she's realizing that Hani isn't the person that I, I mean it's if there's any parallel it's between Ashley and Isha's parents right Ashley wants um Hani to be a certain type of person a certain type of friend to her and the fact that she isn't following her desired path is like infuriating and like making Ashley act out yeah yeah and it was like nice to see issue just kind of pointed out every single time. Like, Ashling and Deirdre were being such manipulative bitches. And she says manipulative bitches in the book. And I love, side note, I love the fact that Issue curses a lot. And Honey's yeah. like, you, it's like, you shouldn't curse. And Issue's like, hey, like, I'm Irish. I'm allowed to curse as much as I want. And yeah. Like, <laughs> what was the line? It was so um, funny. You curse a lot for a Bangladeshi girl. And then um, she goes, well, I curse just enough for an Irish person. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just like cackled so much at that. And just just the fact that issue calls Ashling and Deirdre white feminists and, mm. uh, you know, 
mentioned like white women tears. I was like, wow, issue. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's like you, you are way too mature for this high school. Yeah, I mean, maybe the most unrealistic part is that issue was considered not cool. Because I feel like kids who are like that, like who are no, dry, I don't like, think so. I think it's very realistic that <laughs> she was considered uncool because it it's high school. It's a Catholic high school, and if you don't, if you go against the grain, and if you don't, you know, attempt to soften yourself to be likable, then people are not going to hang out with you. Maybe pop- later on, when you're adults, you can say, "Oh, I was a cool kid," but. Really, you have to go through that phase in high school where no one wants to hang out with you because you're just not interested in Riverdale and don't use Instagram. <laughs> but yeah, I thought it was really sweet. Um, like issue showing honey like, hey, this is how a healthy relationship is where, you know, someone accepts your dietary restrictions, respects your religion. Uh, she like comes up with a list of halal restaurants that they can go to. And uh, there's a scene where Ashley was just like, it's fine. Like Hani could just eat the vegetarian option at this. Captain like, America, the American restaurant. Yeah. And then like um, there was also another scene where Hani says, whenever Ashling and Deirdre come, comes over to her house, her mom has to cook white people food and not even like the non-spicy version of of like Bangladeshi uh, dishes. It's like straight up white people food because yeah. Ashling and Deirdre are like uh, the they, worst. They just don't want to eat it. Yeah. The worst people in the world. Uh, That's a sign. If a friend is not willing to eat your people's food, you need to dump them right away. Not even like doesn't want to eat. Actively talk shit about it. Like it makes you wonder why Ashley is friends with Hani in the first place when she obviously hates everything that isn't white Irish. I think, okay, it's like a mix of things. It's like they grew up together, so they're just holding on to this bond, right? And then it's also, well, Hani is kind of a pushover. So Ashling, as someone who is the queen bee and wants to be the center of attention, it's very easy to manipulate a friend into doing things that you want to do. And we see so many examples of that. Like there'll be moments where there, there was a scene where Honey uh, wants to go canvassing for her dad's uh, campaign. And she had promised her dad and Ashley and Deirdre, you know, they agreed to help her. But once they show up, they're like, yeah, we don't want to do that. Um, like, you know, our boyfriends are here. Like, why don't you, like, come with us? And they persuade her to uh, ditch the canvassing. And I'm like, that's not, like, that's not good friendship behavior because you made a promise to someone and you're breaking it and you're also, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's like they're treating her not as a friend, but, like, as a pet, right? They're, like, she's, like, the talking person of color friend that they have to, like, prove that they're not, prove that they're not racist, Right. Even though they treat her very, very racistly. Yeah. And like them not understanding why she can't do sleepovers and Hani being like, I 
my mom would be okay with the sleepovers, but I personally <laughs> want to go back home <laughs> so that I can do morning prayer. And her hiding this part uh, to her friends, like, you know, issue immediately says, that's not okay. Why, why are your friends like being so shitty and not letting you pray and not letting you, you know, eat your own food. Well, like, why are they not being considerate to you? And that relationship between Hani and Issue is, you know, it's, it's not romantic. It's more like, it's more friendship based. It's more like, learn to respect yourself, learn to identify the red flags. And I thought, that part of their relationship was like, it was like really, I was really invested in that part of their relationship versus their romantic relationship. I mean, that's kind of romantic too, right? Having someone. I mean, that's like, true. It's, it's definitely like, like, it's definitely like a gradual friends to lovers situation. And I'm like, yeah, I thought it was believable. I thought the pacing was great. Um, yeah, I mean, let's talk about uh, the central relationship of the story, which is between Issue and Hani. And they're, would you call it slow burn? It's not exactly slow because they catch feelings real fast. Yeah, they catch feelings within like the first quarter of the book. Yeah. So it's a lot of pining. Yeah. Miscommunication. And I, was like, oh, I, I love pining. That's like half of romance books. <laughs> But uh, I was very frustrated uh, with the pining because it was like one of those situations where where I was just like, dump your friends, go with the person who actually respects you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Or like have one honest conversation for once in your entire relationship with each other. Yeah. Um, Oh, my God. The most frustrating part was when issue accidentally shares the uh, fake dating guide Google Doc to her with her sister. And Hani sees that it was shared with um, <laughs> with Ishii's sister. And they just don't talk about it. They just kind of, you know, they're just like, why did you... Like, in their heads, they're like, why did this person share it? Why is it being weird? And it could literally be solved with just, like, a single conversation. And it does get solved with a single conversation but it's like many chapters later. So it's like very, very frustrating. I was actually surprised that it was solved in a civil conversation and not like a big blow up. I mean, like Honey is very non-confrontational. Mm. So I believe that. Yeah. We, had to, we had to save the explosive fight for Honey and Ashling, like the ultimate showdown. Oh, so I kind of knew that. So I kind of knew that it was going to be like a civil conversation between Issue and Hani with the Google Doc. And I just love the fact that uh, Nick was like, yeah, you accidentally shared it with me. And, you know, I figured it was an accident. So I just like didn't read it. <laughs> I was like, yeah. wow, <laughs> most realistic like way when it comes to Google Docs and sharing. Yeah. And I thought it was funny that Nick was like very like, yeah, I saw it, but whatever. But Issue was like, oh, my God, she's going to use this and blackmail me. That's like where her brain goes to just showing like her her mindset is still in the sibling um, rivalry yeah, mode like yeah like everything i do is ammunition for her to get back at me with our parents and it's like well it's also issues not out with her parents so it's like genuine fear too yeah uh, but then you know nick is like i think nick is more like us which is like a little bit older a little bit like you know what 
this it's all bullshit anyways. You really shouldn't care about any of this. I have to say, like, as an older reader reading this YA book, <laughs> like, I mean, like, if you... I mean, like, we, we talked early on about, like, the parental relationships and, like, Nick's whole journey. And, you know, it just goes to show that we're older readers. I really, I'm really curious as to, like, what teenage readers feel <laughs> reading this book. Yeah. Are they a honey or are they an issue? It's like, is the whole toxic friendship thing, like, while they're reading it, they're like, oh, I'm going through that right now. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas as us, we're just like we we can recognize the red flags right away. <laughs> Maybe I mean it's hard to admit you're in a toxic relationship when you're in that toxic relationship, right? You know, I hopefully this book is helpful for people stuck in those relationships to kind of reevaluate where they are. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what did what did you think about uh, Ashling and issues cheating scandal? And how Principal Gallagher dealt with it. Yeah, it was frustrating to read, but not altogether unbelievable. I can totally believe that the principal of this Catholic girl school would side with the white girl who was popular, who can put on the um, innocent act at the drop of a dime, right? Whereas her treating issue with suspicion and Treating her as if she was guilty before any any investigation was also very believable. And her springing an ambush with her parents, I was like, "What the like? What the hell is this psych like psychotic situation?" Yeah. I kind of wish that the final conflict was was this conflict that results in like outside attention and media investigating this racist happenings in this high school um, that might've been a little too much, but I, I really wanted yeah. the principal to get her, her, her um, reckoning as well. And I feel like, I feel like um, the school kind of got off a little easy on all that. Yeah. Just how issue is in that situation where her parents are ambushed. She's ambushed with her parents Yeah, and her parents, not like her parents immediately siding with the principal believing that, issue is the one who cheated because you know like why why would you be called into the principal's office if you were innocent right and I was like man that is so relatable because I've had (laughs) I've had situations where where like I've gotten into uh quote-unquote academic like trouble or whatever and the parents would like immediately side my parents would immediately side with the school and i'm just like this school is bullshit like how do you not (laughs) like how do you not see like the racial microaggressions that are happening and nick god bless nick for flying over and solving it within like one meeting yeah like nick does the thing that i'm assuming ashley's parents did which is come in and defend actually defend her sister um instead of like deferring to authority yeah and what was really wild to me was issue is valedictorian of her class like she has like topped her uh like all of her exams and it's like wouldn't you just immediately assume that the girl who has lower grades would cheat off of the valedictorian of the school but it's like 
the entire school was just waiting for issue to slip up. They just wanted a reason to finally like have a valid reason to hate her. I mean, there is that story beat where um, Nick as the issue of her day didn't get head girl of her class. And, you know, you get the feeling, you get the feeling that something similar happened where the school found a way to either disqualify her or convince her not to run for head girl or prefect. Yeah. I mean, Nick was just like, this school is bullshit. Oh my God. It just gets worse. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, like as an older person, <laughs> you like immediately see the game and, <laughs> You know, it's hard because when you're a high schooler, like, you don't have any power. You just have to, like, deal with the cards that are given to you. Yeah. And it was just so frustrating when, you know, it was proven that Ashling cheated and they said, oh, she's going to be punished with detention, I guess. Also, let's keep this under wrap because we don't tolerate bullying in the school. And I'm like, excuse me? Well, because <laughs> Ashling has a bright future ahead of her as a white girl. Uh, we don't want to ruin that, you know? But, but they were so eager to just pin it on Ishita. And I was just like, this is bullshit. This is <laughs> bullshit. And, like, the fact that the principal, like, during the speeches for the head girl candidates, like, there are kids say coughing and saying like cheater liar right as ishita is about to do her speech and principal gallagher is just staring off into the distance and it's like you call yourself an educator you call yourself like you you say that you don't tolerate bullying in your school when this is happening right in front of your face and it yeah like i mean it was so frustrating (laughs) I mean, it was frustrating, but at the same time, it was pretty clear that she didn't see issue as one of her students. Yeah, yeah. You know? And I like the way that Adiba wrote uh, Principal Gallagher. And, like, you see, like, in Issue's POV, you're like, I saw a hint of glee in her eyes. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, wow. Like, I, it reminded me a lot of, like, Kathy... Um, Kathy Park Hong's book, Minor Feelings, where, <laughs> where it's just like, are we, like, we, we're seeing this, right? We're <laughs> like, like, this isn't just me thinking that this is racist. And I don't know, it was just like a very, uh, very clear way to show, I guess, like, the perspective of a person of color yeah. seeing how a white person's a, a, an ignorant white person's brain churns. It's like we can see it happening in real time. I mean, as a minority anywhere, our lives are microaggressions and gaslighting, right? And being gaslighted. Yeah, and Hani has been gaslighted her entire life <laughs> by her friends. Yeah. Um, before we wrap, I did want to bring it back to the romance between Issue and Hani. And I wanted to get your thoughts about the sheer number of rain scenes in this book. I mean, it's Ireland, so I believe it. <laughs> you know, it rains all the time. <laughs> and I thought it was really funny how Issue says, why is it always raining? Why do I always get drenched? when I'm meeting Honey or when we have like a moment and I was like, that's really funny. Um, 
yeah, I feel like it. There's scenes um, written just in case this book gets adapted into television, so we have plenty of romantic rain scenes um, between the two of them. But we we kind of skipped over a very big part of the book, which is uh, Honey coming out as bisexual to her friends right. and how they treat her about it, and I was like, man. Bi erasure is so real. <laughs> it was pretty amazing the sheer speed in which it was dismissed. Ashley and Deirdre didn't even consider it for like more than a few seconds before saying, no, that's not true. You're not like that. Which is at the same time. And they say that it's brand. a phase yeah. too. They're just like, oh, we already know that you're going to end up with a guy anyway. And when she is dating issue, they say, oh, you're lesbians, right? And it's like, that's not the correct term. And, you know, sexuality is fluid. And I don't, like, it's what, like year 2021 in this book? Yeah. Like, I mean. <laughs> this, is the, this is the age of Snapchatting and Instagramming. And you're telling me that these kids, like, don't understand uh, bisexuality. Obviously, it's very realistic because bi erasure is very real. Pi-phobia is very, very real. Even in the queer community, there is a lot of downplaying of bisexuals, saying that, you know, they're quote-unquote cheating because, you know, they they get to, like, switch one or the other. I have a friend who is um, bisexual, and she has, she's actually been on this podcast before, uh, Caitlin Kelly. Uh, she was in our Kiss Quotient episode, and she's talked about how like, people have treated her that way uh, growing up when she came out as bisexual. And people being like, oh, well, you're dating a guy, so you can't be bisexual. You can't like girls. And before she even dated a girl, it was just like, how do you know you're bisexual? And it's like, well, I think they know their own sexuality. I think they already know who they're attracted to. Like, freaking bullshit with yeah. with the Riverdale stuff too. It's just like, oh <laughs> man, like which guy do you find attractive? And Honey being like, I'm not into guys lately. And you know what? Like that's valid. I don't know why her friends were being such dicks about it. Well, but, because uh, they're dicks. I mean, yeah, because they're yeah. They're dicks. I think that's that's the one takeaway that everyone can agree with from this book is Ashley and Deirdre. Bad friends who uh, Hani should have cut loose a long time ago, or at least, you know, a few months ago um, when they started becoming toxic. How fucked up was that party scene where they're just waiting for Hani and Ishu to show up so that they can play this drinking game and purposely make Hani feel really bad? And them being like, why? It's like, why can't you drink? Is that like, I didn't know that you were that type of Muslim. And it's like, what do you mean by that type of Muslim? I mean, it's toxic gaslighting behavior that is entirely in character for Ashling. And, you know, Deirdre is just, she's just a follower, right? I actually thought that there would be hope for Deirdre in the very beginning. Because mm. she's the one who says like, oh, like, you know, Ishita's cool. Like, it's fine. And she's like very much a peacekeeper. So I thought, <laughs> you know, Deirdre would come around, but... You find out very early on that, like, as soon as Honey is kind of bumped out of, like, the best friend pedestal, she's very eager to take that spot. So, 
Uh, yeah. Yeah, like I said, I got a lot of uh, war flashbacks and, um, you know, me as an old person just shaking my head. I'm like, oh, these kids, <laughs> they're going to grow... They're going to grow up to be such horrible adults. They Like, someone needs to stop them in this white feminist pipeline. Like, how did this happen? I mean, the sad part is Ashley's going to be just fine. She's going to find plenty of people who are just like her and probably be very successful in life because of her privilege. And knowing how to wield it to yeah. her advantage. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't think I've cursed and gasped and just like been so reactive uh while reading because there were a lot of moments where i was just like fuck this shit like oh my god yeah i mean especially in a ya romance um i don't think there's ever been this i don't think we've read this toxic of antagonist ever yeah 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 never seen we've i don't think we've seen this like hateable an antagonist in a ya romance for like at least since i started reading these types of books I've never seen a young person be so manipulative and like so calculating with <laughs> with her plans of ruining someone's life so thoroughly uh, as like Ashley. Yeah, <laughs> because, you know, like after the cheating scandal is, you know, revealed that Ashley was the one who cheated and they're trying to keep it under wraps. Ashley is like, I'm going to ruin Ishu's life. I'm going to like, I'm going to humiliate her even more then she humiliated me. Well, and you find out later on that she had this plan from the very beginning. And it's just like, how many steps were you ahead in this maniacal plan to get like, <laughs> yeah. like I just I'm just like, wow, that is like behavior that I don't like really see in books, but definitely see in real life because Man, yeah. some kids are very... Uh, <laughs> and she still thinks she's the victim, too, which is, you know, also very believable. And, you know, we see this type of manipulation in, like, politics a lot. Um, and and it's really sad because you're seeing it in young people and you're just like, wow, is there a way <laughs> to stop this? Like, could we have stopped this from happening? And I just hate the fact that I can just picture Ashling as as an adult and it's like oh she's going to be one of those people yeah and that's that's kind of sad and i feel like that's an experience that a lot of people of color go through like um people you thought were in your corner and understood you somehow end up on the other side (laughs) yeah or putting up with toxic behavior because of some sort of loyalty right like yeah i've had to like ever since 2016 like a lot of people in my outer social circles i saw their true colors i was like oh i thought like because we went to a liberal arts school in manhattan and because you were friends with so many people of color and queer people that clearly you would think about how these politics would affect our lives and how some of the things that you're saying and are parroting are just really harmful and rooted in prejudice. But of course, like, yeah, yeah, it's like, it's, it's a, unfortunately an experience that a lot of people of color go through. So, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. I feel like 
we've spent a good majority of this podcast complaining about Ashling, uh, which, you know, is admittedly also a big part of the book. But I do want to reiterate that the romance part of this romance was also very sweet and fluffy. Um, it will make you feel good about yourself and with love. It's just Adiba did such a great job crafting this most villainous of teen girls, teen white girls. Yeah, yeah. Well, like I said, I wish, like, even though fake dating is in the title and they do have, like, a fake dating guide on their Google Doc, I feel like they were just friends, like, for the majority of the book with, like, pining. And, you know, a lot of it wasn't fake. A lot of it was, you know. Yeah, it's always fun to read the perspective of, like, the... um the grumpy character who is so angry that they're catching feelings. Uh, yeah. I thought that was really funny too, where like, she was like, shit, I have a crush on her. It's like, I need to end it right away. <laughs> and <laughs> I was just like, wow, uh, relatable again. Um, but yeah, that's like, that's the, that's the fun part of fake dating stories, right? Like the moment where they find out that, Feelings are involved, and then the awkwardness ensues. And man, things do get awkward between Hani and Issue. Yeah, and you know, all of their interactions were very—they're very cute. You know, the awkwardness made it cuter. I think. Yeah, I wish we saw like more of like the staging of the relationships. You know, like I—I I just kind of wish there were like more scenes, um, and like. I guess, like, more Instagramming, you know? Like, I wanted them to, like, really hone in on, like, the cheesiness. (laughs) Being like, okay, we have to be, like, the bisexual couple of our school. We're going to do all the gay things so that people (laughs) will give us the vote. Yeah, I mean, I feel like that's the thing. with There's just so many storylines, right? Like... You know, you have, you know, Hani and Ishu fake dating, Ishu and Nick's sibling reconciliation, Ishu and her parents, Tiger immigrant parents story, Hani and her parents, um, teen lying to her parents uh, story, and then Ashley and Deidre toxic friend story. Like, all of that combined together into one, admittedly, not that long of a book, neither. It's like a pretty good, like, what, 300-some pages? It's like 300 pages, yeah. 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 But that's like my favorite type of romances, though, where it's wrapped in a lot of like human drama. It's like the romance is like the icing in the cake. Yeah. Which, you know, which is weird because it's like you're reading romance for the romance. But I read romance for the romance in the side. That's so. true. That's true. That's true. Um, but I mean, it all makes sense, too, because all of the, the above are all obstacles to that romance right they're all they all form the the um the individual emotional slash generational traumas that form honey issues um personalities oh my god i just remembered uh like speaking of like instagram earlier like i'm just remembering like ashling like hey so i saw issue in your instagram post in your like bengali party and it's like issues like at the very corner of that Instagram post, I'm just like, how like how long were you staring at that photo for you to like see issue? But uh, there, there's a scene where um, Ashling and Dee are just, you know, they're saying, "Why didn't you invite us to any of your uh, 
any of your Bengali parties. I don't understand. Like, I thought we were your friends. And Hani being like, how do I tell them that they're not invited to the Bengali parties because they're not Bengali (laughs) and it's a community thing and they're not part of this community? I think that's part of it. Part of it is also like, I know you're going to have a terrible time there. So why would I invite you? You don't even eat our food. Like, why would I invite you to a, literally what is called a feast? Yeah, because I'm sure if they were better friends and like they had eaten her mother's food, there would be no or less of a conflict inviting them to the Bengali parties, right? I Yeah, <laughs> it's because like I had like a couple of Indian friends like growing up and I loved going over to their houses because their mom would cook like the best Indian food. Yeah. The food descriptions were pretty good in this book. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure there are like people out there who are just like, why? Like, like my white kids can't read this book because there are so many words that they don't understand. And like, well, those people suck. It's so, so don't, who cares it's so about foreign, them? blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, listen, I'm Asian and I don't even know like half the things in this book. Okay. Like, like I had to Google some of the food because I had no idea what they were. <laughs> yeah. But they all sounded good. And I love the fact that, you know, you have so many different moms and aunties, each with their own specialties, right? Like Hani's mom is known for making this dish and Isha's mom is known for making this dish. It was just really cool to see the diversity even in the food that's portrayed. You know, I love how uh, they repeatedly said in the book, oh, if you don't eat the food in a Bengali household, it's considered very rude. Like we will not send you out of the house without something to eat. (laughs) And it just reminded me of the Swedish uh debate that we had like on twitter where it's like the sweets don't feed you if you come over like how is that possible and i'm like yeah like never in a freaking asian household will you ever be turned away without food or it's just part of our love language yeah so yeah definitely definitely all right um I guess on that note, any last thoughts on Hanya Issue's Guide to Fake Dating? Uh, yeah. So actually, um, Hanya Issue's Guide to Fake Dating, it won the YA Book Prize, which is a prize for the UK and Ireland's best young adult fiction. And yeah, it was like coincidental that we picked this book for this month and, and, and it won the award. Yeah, like once again, we we, we we can take credit for that, right? We can totally... No, no, I can take credit for that because I have excellent taste. <laughs> I mean, like you mentioned, I'm sure there are some white parents who are offended that their children would read a book with brown people on the cover um, about brown yeah. people and their food. But this shows that like there's plenty of people who appreciate this type of story. And it's such a... like I don't know if the UK and Ireland have the same types of book debates that we have here in the States because things are getting pretty dire here in terms of like book bans and people not wanting to read anything written by or about uh, people of color. Um, But it is at least comforting to know that the major award givers do appreciate these types of stories. Yeah. And, you know, we mentioned it early on in the podcast, but 
I really like the fact that this book was set in Ireland. I love the fact that um, the author is Irish herself. And, you know, like in our book club, um, in our like introduction thread, we have a lot of people who are from outside America and they do say, hey, it's actually really hard for us to find authors of color on our bookshelves that are like not American or Canadian. We don't have as much diversity or have as many numbers. And it's just nice that you have like you have an Irish, (laughs) you have a you have a you have a book about brown Irish girls and, you know, it's winning awards and it's actually on bookshelves yeah like irish and uk readers don't have to read american books to you know feel seen if that makes sense yeah totally um so yeah congrats to adipa jagadar on the award it's definitely well deserved this was a really fun read with a lot of really important um themes and portrayals and i think you know like media holds a mirror to the real world and I'm sure, like you mentioned, there's someone reading about Ashling and realizing maybe I have an Ashling in my life too that I need to um, run, that I need run. to take care of. <laughs> run, run, burn those bridges early on because yeah. there are some people who are just not worth their time. Um, but anyway, thank you for listening to our discussion of Hani and Issues Guide to Fake Dating. So for the month of September, we are reading You're Invited by Amanda Jayatissa. Uh, We've had Amanda on the show before. Uh, We talked to her about her book, My Sweet Girl, which was a thriller that I really liked. Um, You're Invited is also a thriller, and it's about a woman who is invited to go to Sri Lanka for a wedding. Um, She's going there to stop it because it's her ex-boyfriend and former best friend's wedding. And when the best friend, when the former best friend goes missing uh, and is presumed dead, the woman is accused of murder. So it is it has been described to me as crazy rich Asians meets gone girl. So I am very excited to read this book. Yeah, that's a that's a pretty potent combination there. Like, listen, I love crime and I love weddings. So <laughs> this combines two things that I really like. So yeah. I'm excited. I'm excited. All right. Looking forward to um, reading and discussing that with you at the end of the month. Um, as always, if you've read our books and want to um, discuss with us, um, let us know your thoughts on our Goodreads forums. We always love to include feedback from our listeners in our discussions whenever possible. Also a reminder that you can find all the books covered on our podcast on our Books and Boba online bookshop, where all of your purchases not only help support our podcast, but also your local bookstores as well. Uh, you can find the link to our bookshop by going to booksandboba.com and clicking on the bookshop link. Uh, and yeah, um, that'll do it for this episode of Books and Boba and our discussion of Honey Issues Guide to Fake Dating. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you all next time. Bye, everybody. Bye. Thanks for listening to Books and Boba. This podcast was hosted by Marvin Yue and Ri Ryu and edited and produced by Marvin Yue. Follow the book club on Twitter and Instagram by going to at Books and Boba and engage with us on Goodreads on our Goodreads group. 
You can also check out past episodes of the podcast by going to booksandboba.com and by subscribing to us on your favorite podcast app. Don't forget, you can support Books and Boba and Asian American authors by purchasing books at our bookshop.org account. Check out the link in our show notes and also at booksandboba.com. Books and Boba is a proud member of the Potluck Podcast Collective, a collective of Asian American hosted podcasts featuring unique voices and stories from the Asian diaspora. Learn more about the collective and check out our fellow Potluck shows by visiting the website podcastpotluck.com. Thanks for listening. Hi, I'm Shinyi Pai, host of the podcast Blue Suit. In a world full of stuff, what do we choose to hold on to? The Blue Suit is a podcast about commonplace objects and the people who transform them into something remarkable. From an inherited Chinese English dictionary to an old caliphone playing records left behind by Japanese Americans incarcerated during World War II, our podcast showcases modern day artifacts of Asian America and what gets elevated to heirloom status. Find it by searching for The Blue Suit wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Brian, did you go to Saturday school as a kid? I sure did. Did you? Totally. Well, at our podcast, Saturday School, we don't teach a language, but we pass along the culture that we do know. And that's Asian American pop culture. Ada is a journalist, and I'm a professor and film festival programmer. We've watched a lot of great Asian American movies, and we want you to watch them too. Come listen to us as we look back at the pioneering films that have led us to today. 